Hello, and welcome to the Student Ministry Conversations podcast with your hosts, Brent Aiken, David Pruitt, and Russell Martin. This podcast is all about equipping, encouraging, and inspiring youth pastors weekly with topics that are brought to the table by youth pastors from all over the world. And now, here's your host for this week, Brent Aiken. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, we want to welcome you and invite you over to our website, studentministryconversations.org, where you can find all of our previous episodes, show notes, and blog articles. Our goal is that you are inspired, encouraged, and the things that you hear on this podcast can equip you to be a better student pastor for the church that you're serving in. Today, we have the privilege to sit down with Mark DeVries, And now, if you don't know who Mark is, Mark is the founder of Ministry Architects. He has also been an associate pastor of youth and families um, for a long time. He's been involved in the trenches of youth ministry. Um, He has also written some books that you might have heard of, um, including Sustainable Youth Ministry and Family-Based Youth Ministry, which both are um, huge recommendations that I would encourage um, just because of the impact that those books had on me personally. Great guy, great heart, love his desire to help youth pastors out. Um, and without further ado, um, here's my conversation with Mark. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Uh, if this is your first time listening to us, we just wanted to welcome you. Um, and let's get started. Today, we are sitting down with Mark DeVries. And Mark is quite honestly, just amazing. And he's been in the youth ministry game for a long time. Uh, But he is the founder and the CEO of Ministry Architects. Um, And he's done a ton of other stuff, including being a youth pastor in the trenches for quite a long time. Uh, But Mark, I don't want to steal too much of your thunder. So tell us anything and everything you want to tell us about yourself, uh, family, what you're doing now, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Great. Thanks, Brent. Well, um, yeah, I live in Nashville, Tennessee, where we've been since 1986. And um, we've been, uh, I got to serve in a church here for almost 30 years. Uh, So the kids in my youth group actually became the parents of the kids in my youth group, which was pretty, you know, pretty special. Um, I am uh, in in 2014, I sort of moved into a full-time role with Ministry Architects and Ministry Incubators. And actually, just this, uh, just this January, so like two months ago, um, have transitioned out of the leadership of Ministry Architects to um, just being on staff. My my uh, son-in-law Trey Wentz is now the the uh, the CEO and leader of Ministry Architects, and uh, and then my my friend and um, partner uh, Kenda Dean and I uh, have a ministry called Ministry Incubators, which focuses kind of more on the innovation space, the social enterprise incubation space. I've got, I've got three, three babies, four grandbabies. Um, uh, one, one of, one of my kids is in Philadelphia. Uh, one of my kids is in Oklahoma and then uh, the remainder are right here in Nashville. So yeah, that's our, that's our story. I'm, I actually, Brent, here's the exciting news for the podcast listeners. I don't think youth pastors have this ever crosses their mind, but I am signing up for Medicare. Wow. That's a thing. So, so that means I am, I'm just on the edge of 65. I'm about to get to 65. Um, yeah. So I am, um, 
you know, my, my hands-on work with kids um, sort of wrapped up around 2019, other than the church that I serve in. Um, but, uh, you know, this weekend, my son and I are leading a family retreat for a church in town. And so still get to have, but I don't have a, you know, like a youth pastor's heart is to always have a group of kids. And, you know, all, all those kids are, you know, are now adults. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to, to sort of talk about youth ministry things, because I do think youth ministry is a foretaste of the church, of what's happening in the church. And it's sort of the R and D for the church. And, um, so, um, whatever we talk about today relative to youth ministry, my guess is they're going to be some pretty strong implications for, um, the other ministry areas of the church too. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good thought research. Uh, the, youth being kind of the foretaste of the church. That's a, that's an interesting way to look at it, but it totally fits as far as R and D for sure. Um, and so it goes hand in hand with what we're talking about today. And the conversation that uh, we chose to have today was leading culture change. But before we get too far into that, what is the current state of our culture look like when it comes to teenagers? If you could pin it down. <laughs> right. The well, ever-changing, ever-flowing. <laughs> I, think, I think, Brent, I would use words like um, fragmented, um, isolated. Um, you remember you remember Chap, Chap Clark's book, Hurt? And one of his big themes there, if not the major theme of the book, is that we now live in a culture that systematically abandons young people. And um, I have a friend... Uh, Rich Griffith, who is just coming out with a book where he's kind of leaning into, for many young people, particularly those on the margins, we have moved from abandonment to criminalization. So you probably read about the school to prison pipeline for certain kids that grow up in certain context. Um, yeah. There is, um, you know, there is uh, this, um, this disconnection for kids from the very sources that will lead them to maturity and uh, joy and, um, and, you know, mature faith. Um, and so th those are, um, you know, from family-based youth ministry from 1994, um, yeah. you know, we've, we've been arguing that kids' faith is shaped and formed in direct proportion to the quantity and quality of adults that that they are surrounded with and yeah we are you know with the speed I, I don't i don't i'm not suggesting that there's some pernicious plan to abandon kids but but with the speed of the culture everybody's got too much else to do and so kids are are no longer in context where they are um where they're verticalized you're going to say, what are you talking about? Um, <laughs> in a, our typical settings for young people are where they're in a horizontal culture, where the, the almost exclusive or at least predominant relationships are all at the peer level. And when you live in a horizontal culture, the average, the normal behavior settles about the square root of the youngest one's age. So when junior high boys hang out with each other, they tend to not grow up a lot, right? Think Lord of the Flies. A vertical culture, for example, when a 
when a kid serves in in a children's ministry, for example, the little guys look up. So there's that verticality. And then the older people that are, you know, the, the adults that are in the room think they're the greatest thing since a banana. So they just tend to grow up. And unfortunately, most youth ministry has been designed as a horizontal entry point, which is more attractive to kids, but it doesn't carry us very far in terms of long-term faith maturity. So uh, that's my riff on the state of the culture out there, which impinges on, and the church is just sort of echoing the ways that uh, the culture is isolating kids. Well, no, that's, I think that's an interesting, um, interesting kind of way to lay it out as far as what we are dealing with in youth, because in a lot of things, we look at the horizontal side of it and it's, hey, how, how can we get all these people here? How can we get all these students in? How can we get them deep enough to where they know who Jesus is? But then after that, like, we'll just, I mean, they, they accepted Jesus for good, like kind of thing like that. It doesn't really go much farther. And so that's, I mean, gosh, that's a question that jumps into my mind of, right off the bat is how do you transition from a horizontal to maybe not necessarily, I, I see the value and I see the benefit of a horizontal youth ministry. Don't get me wrong, but how do you transition at the right time from that horizontal to the vertical yeah. setup. That's that's the that's the challenge because uh you get paid for how many kids you can stuff in a room that are at, at the same level. <laughs> yeah. Um and you get incentivized to that. Most youth pastors do. Um so but it doesn't mean we can't infuse or what I've called exfamize we can we can build an extended family into those so the the horizontal can be like the top of the funnel where kids are more comfortable coming to peer centric sort of places but then quickly um building into that context um ways for them Typically, what we think is, okay, you got the come level. You remember Duffy's stuff, the come level group, the grow level, the lead level. Um, and the, the truth is, from this group, we naturally say, okay, let's do something else that's horizontal. Now let's do, let's get them in a small group of people just like them. And now let's let them be on a leadership to, a team of people just like them. And so what can happen at each of those levels is we can infuse those uh, that programming with uh, with godly adults that are not <laughs> don't confuse a youth leader with a normal Christian adult. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, these are these are not people that volunteer to help every week. Um, but what we're doing is populating the great cloud of witnesses for kids, so that the the extent to which they are surrounded. Hebrews twelve, you know, says we're going to run with endurance you know, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And unfortunately, many kids are running in an arena where they're, it's only other kids running alongside them, nobody in the stands cheering for them. So I, I like to suggest that, I mean, this builds on the sticky face stuff of, you know, the one to six ratio and all that stuff um, that, that we put into kids' minds, into parents' minds, into youth leaders' minds, one of your primary developmental tasks is to is to populate a constellation of godly relationships and and so kids can own that parents can own that 
And so instead of teaching parents how to feel guilty about all the stuff they're not doing right, how about we say to parents, listen, what you really need is to surround yourselves and your kids with a group of people that are going to help you feel like you're not doing this all by yourself. Instead, most parenting seminars say, here's how you get your kids to behave. And the, the truth is, that's a short-term game. There are a lot of kids who behave really well when they're in their house with their kid, with their parents. And then as they graduate out onto their own, their faith and those values become increasingly secondary behind the, you know, the values of the people they're hanging out with. So yeah. infusing regular programming with lots of godly adults, I think is the name of the game. Well, and I think there's a lot of truth to that because I saw something on social media this morning that kind of made me stop and double take. And it was the mindset of we are now raising children in a non-conflict world to where like it's it's we can't have kids have conflicts and everything like that. We're trying to avoid those is like, but parents are also having to do it in a non, it takes a village society too. And it was one of those things that I was like, whoa, but there's so much truth to that. And I think that's ultimately where the church should shine because the whole mentality of, and focus of the church, that whole, it takes a village mindset. Like that is, that is the um, dynamic that the church offers. And so that is a huge, huge um, opportunity and a huge moment for kids that step into the program is they don't want just one person. They want that, just like we said, the funnel. We want to start with where they feel accepted. They feel like this is a fun atmosphere where they can get involved. But then you kind of start working on saying, all right, well, hey, you know, how how can we make you grow vertically and move on that range instead of just staying in that, well, this is a fun place to be. But I think it's also a great um question as far as how we go in to leading that culture change. Um, and so we talked about how you said the culture change or the culture that we live in now is very, very um, just disappoint, like disbanded, disjointed, um, really not functioning super, super well. And so what is the importance of leading the culture in a different direction than what's done today? Because, I mean, obviously, we've seen the side effects. We've seen what's come from – we all can lovely remember the uh, beautiful COVID year um, and the ramifications that we're seeing to this day from that year of complete and total isolation um, and how toxic that was to the culture that we have. So what is the importance of leading the culture in a different direction today um, and then kind of a second question to that, is that something that we as youth pastors can kind of step in and take charge? Or does that need to be more of an, an empowering connection to where we empower the people that will do it, like parents or school administrators or people like that? Yeah. Wow. Well, um, where do we begin on that? Um, I came loaded, man. Thanks. Uh, I do think there are, you know, a lot of times youth workers, church workers will say things like, well, you can't expect me to change the culture at our church because fill in the blank. We got a toxic senior pastor. We've got a, you know, materialistic, what, whatever it may be, right? Um, 
the truth is we can pick a very narrow band of culture change and then we can change it. You know, the example I use a lot of times is around volunteer recruitment. Most churches have a culture that says, you know, you don't understand people around here don't volunteer. And, um, and you know, the beauty is volunteer recruitment is kind of a technical problem. It's not an adaptive problem. Just work the, work the process and the process works. And, you know, I, I actually, I don't know, 10 years or so ago, did a YouTube video on uh, uh, which I call the $100 bet. And basically I said, if you'll work this process with your volunteer recruitment process and it doesn't work, um, you don't get the volunteers that you need. Just let me know and I'll give you a hundred bucks. Um, and, you know, there've been, a, you know, there've been a good number of people that have heard that challenge and uh, I've never had to pay. Um, and the, so to change a culture from being a, we don't volunteer to, we got so many volunteers, we have to turn them away. That's a process that we can actually control too much of the time. What we do is we wring our hands and we say, oh, I can't do anything about that. And the kids are watching this and the kids are looking at that. And the, that's not stuff we control, but there are certain things we can control. And, you know, for example, we could say we want to move from a culture that's horizontal to a culture that's vertical. And so in, in sustainable, you probably remember, I, I wrote about this kind of four, you know, four component force. It's not even sequential steps, but it's four components for culture change. And um, so, I mean, the beauty is if we can change the little culture that we're dealing with, like if parents can change the little culture in their house, that has tremendous ripple effects. Um, so, um, yeah, let's just, let's just kind of build, start with the base of those four components of culture change. And, um, and then you just interrupt me at any point and say, um, you know, buy it or we ought to, we ought to think about it further. So the first one is you just have to trust the process. Um, when a church says we can't get volunteers, I just say, okay, just just watch over the next three years, we're going to work this process and it'll work. Um, and you relax and you don't get defensive or wring your hands about, oh, gee, it doesn't work. And people around here are resisting and you just, you, but it, it takes time. And sometimes I use the, the image of the um, bamboo farmer. Um, you know, uh, when you grow bamboo, when you think about growing bamboo, you just think it just takes over right? It just is everywhere. But the truth is, if you're growing bamboo, uh, if you have a little bamboo plant and you put it in your yard and you go back six months later, you're going to see the same little sticks coming out of the ground. You come back another six months later, it's the same little sticks. And you're thinking, man, I got bad bamboo. Come back two years later, same thing, same little sticks. Three years is how long it takes. And then in the fullness of time, something happens in the little bamboo brain and it grows as much as four feet in 24 hours. You get that? Four wow. feet in 24 hours, kind of like a junior high boy, right? Yeah, pretty much. But when we get all stressed about, oh, gee, this is not working, nothing's happening, nothing's happening, it's because we don't understand the process. And typically culture change is a, you know, three-year process or so. And 
when we can relax and just work the process and not expect it to be done in six months, but, but I mean, culture change just takes a while. It's that whole, you know, you're turning a tanker, you're not turning a speedboat. Um, so that's the first one. The second one is we got to start delivering results in the direction of that, that particular change. So, um, you know, if it's volunteer, if you're trying to change the volunteer culture and you've only got one volunteer, well, you get one more <laughs> and you say, we have just doubled our number of volunteers that this <laughs> and young people, or if it's the, um, if it's the, um, adult, you know, infusing adults in the, in the youth ministry, um, you can do a, like we, we used to do when the new seventh graders joined the youth group, we, we used to do a, a thing called crud day, which, you know, is just that mud fest 2000. It's just the, you know, it's mud volleyball and, and water balloons and shaving, you know, all the things you'd expect. Um, and uh, one of the things that happened is that because it, there were so many components to this thing, we ended up having about you know, let's just say there were a couple hundred kids that came, we ended up having about a hundred adults there wow. um, that were, you know, they were spraying kids off and they were digging the mud and the, who knows, but everybody had a little job, putting out the pizza, doing registration. And the kids did not even notice. Um, but what we're able to say is look at all these, look at all these adults that are in, in plugging into kids' lives and supporting our kids and, uh, just want to thank the hundred adults that were there, right? So uh, it's just delivering some change in the direction that you want to go. So if there's a culture change you want to make, deliver some result there. And it doesn't take much, um, but you know, some some youth pastors, I'm afraid, are are fearful of results. Like you know, this is we shouldn't we shouldn't be so concerned about results. We should be concerned about faithfulness. Well, yes. Agreed. But if you want to change culture, you got to deliver some results and you yeah. can't have it both ways. Like, Oh, I'm just, I'm just going to be faithful and quiet. Um, somebody's got to notice. So just infuse, you know, it could be you do an adopt a grandparent thing and a different grandparent comes into youth group and does a five minute interview with you where you ask them questions about their testimony or whatever. I mean, the, but all of those begin to be a part of the narrative that we are no longer just a horizontal kind of place, right? Um, and actually, some of the very best youth ministry happens when kids never come to youth programs. Elaborate on that. Elaborate on that. Let me say that again. Sometimes the most profound youth ministry happens with kids that never show up to youth ministry. For example, I have a... Um, you know, she's probably 30 or 40 by now, but there's a girl who joined our youth group, seventh grade. She came to the very first, you know, family welcome kickoff thing. And I thought, oh, you know, I, I just thought that her family was great. thought she was great. Never saw her again for, for, you know, I'd see her wandering the halls, but she never came to youth ministry stuff. Well, when she was a senior, I sent out a thing to all the seniors, inviting them to do like a weekly senior thing with me just before regular programming. So, you know, as an attempt at student leadership, but really just sort of a, you're turning the page, you're about to head out. Um, and 
So she said yes to that. And here's what I found out. She had been teaching the second graders for six years. Every year she'd get a new group of second graders. So she was, you know, vertical. She had kids looking up to her. She had adults that thought she was the greatest thing since a banana. She was teaching the very same thing she would have been just listening to with me. And I got to wonder if that is not a better design for discipleship than come to my meeting yeah. with a bunch of people your age that are, you know, playing pull my finger all night. Um, yeah. So, so all, all that's to say, um, you deliver. So first, trust the process. Second, deliver some results. Then the third thing is, if you want to change culture, you got to change the story. And, you know, stories get told in all kinds of ways. But I mean, even a bulletin announcement can name the story. Like you can say in the bulletin announcement, if we don't have enough volunteers for our youth ministry by tonight, we're canceling youth group until we do. Well, that's a story. <laughs> and it's a culture. I mean, it it has cultural assumptions and you're going to be carried along by that negative culture. Or you say, we are so grateful for the profound impact that the adults in our church have with kids. And Ms. Johnson, here's what Ms. Johnson says about her involvement with kids. Uh, I can't imagine my life without having these 10 young people as my friends, whatever, right? Um, same set of facts, you get to tell the story. And if we want to change culture, we got to pick the story we want to tell that moves us in the direction of what we want. Yeah. Um, uh, then uh, finally, the, um, the fourth one is you can ritualize the, the culture change with some sort of ceremony or, you know, some sort of public ritual. So, um, you know, if we're talking about volunteer recruitment, um, you let's just say it's it's you're starting a new year you get all the volunteers for the youth ministry or all the volunteers for the children in the youth ministry bring them up to the front of the church and you get you know a three-year-old a seven-year-old a 10-year-old a 14-year-old 18-year-old all to pray over these you know flock of volunteers who are in the front of the church and and you're just saying you know, everybody in the in the crowd is, you know, not everybody, but most people are saying, wow, I mean, that's a, having a, having a five-year-old pray for me, uh, that's a pretty, <laughs> that's a pretty yeah. cool thing. Um, and so those, that, that four-step process, um, we found to be really helpful in shifting the culture that we can control. Um, and, um, and so I, I tend to, I, I use that as a base for thinking about culture change. And it, it, it just takes the pressure off of, it's a, it's a tool, just like a, a jack for your, your car changing the tire. Most youth ministry people are just trying to unscrew the lug nut with their fingers and they get really frustrated and exhausted, but there yeah. are tools available. And this culture management, culture change is one of the most profound uh, things we can do to carry us in the direction we want to go. I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, we're going to be carried along 
by this river and that river is either the Holy Spirit moving us in the direction we need to go or it's our own negativity that we allow to move us in the other direction. So yeah, play with no, that I, I totally agree. Um, but I wanted to kind of throw something at you as well. And if you don't have an answer for this, that's totally fine. But you've talked a lot about the the things and the culture that we can control. And obviously volunteer recruitment, stuff like that is a really, really easy one that we do have full control over. Um, what are some other opportunities for controllable culture that you see within a youth program? Um, well, I, you know, I think a culture of enthusiasm and hopefulness, we can, we can control that, right? Um, uh, it, it's easy for us to say, listen, I'm not going to pretend out here. I'm just going to tell it like it is. <laughs> well, we get what we focus on. And if we focus on all the things that are not going wrong, and let me tell you, over 45 years of ministry, I've had lots of things that have not gone well. <laughs> sure. We can focus on those or we can focus on where the Holy Spirit seems to be showing up, where things seem to be happening. So I think in enthusiasm. I also think, um, you know, to some extent, numbers. Um, uh, that doesn't mean the numbers that uh, of kids showing up to a meeting, but um, you know, most, uh, unfortunately, many youth workers are um, allergic to databases, like, and they're often allergic to numbers. Like I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be concerned about numbers. I should only be concerned about, you know, the hearts of the kids. Of course, I mean, it's not an either or thing, but Jesus knew how many disciples he had. And we yeah. are told in the Bible, that's his, his nickname for his disciples was a number. And, and when we, when we ask, you know, youth directors, how many kids do you have? The most common, you know what the most common response is? What's that? It is, uh, what do you mean? What do you mean? I mean, who qualifies as one of my kids? I was like, I don't, I don't care. It could be every kid that's ever shown up to anything. It can be the kids in your small group. How, how many you got? And, and it's like, Folks are totally at sea. They can't imagine being able to name who are who the kids for whom God is put in their care. If a shepherd doesn't know how many sheep they have, they are a bad shepherd. Right? No, definitely. We can we can know that kind of thing. And so that's another place that we can and then work the process, the culture change process that we name um you know, we named the, the numbers that are, that we think are valuable. You know, we had yeah. uh, not how many kids necessarily came to our meetings, but um, did you know that out of our 32 kids in our directory, every one of them has had a face-to-face -face contact with somebody from the church in the last month or every month out of the year or whatever. Um so there are ways to um, change a culture from one of um, kind of ignoring. And yeah, that's that's really what we, what we do when it comes to numbers is we we ignore and we resist. And I'm just thinking, don't don't use lousy numbers. How many kids does Doug Fields have in his youth group when he had had a youth group? 
I don't care. That's a lousy number. It doesn't matter to me. But how many times do I follow up with a visiting family? That's a pretty important number. But most of us put all the numbers in the same place. How many kids does Young Life have coming in town? That's happy to know, but it doesn't make any difference to my ministry. But there are some yeah. numbers. Well, and I think that's a good point. We need to reevaluate the importance of our metrics um, because there are things that are important. And one of the things that we very much try to track in our group um, is something that we took from Kenny and L. Campbell, Stuff You Can Use, Grow Curriculum. Uh, both of them have been on our podcast before. But they said that they, the way that they celebrate their wins with their volunteers um, is – we win when a student takes their next step in faith. And so it's like, you know, how many next steps have we had this year? How many opportunities have we had a student say, hey, I recognize where I'm at and I'm taking this step that's going to push me farther along the line? Because, I mean, yeah, we can talk about, well, I had 40, 70, 150 kids all day long. But in the grand scheme of things, if you have 150 kids and then 145 of them go home and nothing happened, then I don't think we're doing effective work kingdom-wise. And so we're still on that horizontal trap, and we need to find ways to make it vertical or at least funnel it to where we start that process of um, allowing them to get deeper and deeper. And so when we look at that, that's a metric that we can look at later, and we can say, hey, I see this. These students are here. We we have 70 students on our roster we took 55 of them took their next step this year. That's a metric that's worth keeping. That's oh. a met metric that's worth following. And that's something that we should be talking about, not saying, oh, well, I had 85 people come to my all you can eat pancake dinner last night. It's like, that's great. I'm sure half the town would have come to that if you would have just invited them because everybody wants all you can eat pancakes. Right. So. <laughs> But so for youth pastors that are teaching the ways of Jesus, obviously that can be countercultural sometimes. And this is a different kind of cultural topic than we've talked about, I guess, so far. But also the other side, I guess, as far as a cultural change that I see that youth pastors have a hand in regularly would be the kids that aren't churched or the kids that aren't from a church background that come into a church background. And then you have that cultural battle of like what is appropriate what is right what are why are we doing this all this stuff how do youth pastors um what are some practical ways that they can get started in leading the change as far as students just understanding maybe even just the premise of stuff that we can change we can't make a kid believe in jesus but we can like you said be a group with joy and love where they come in and they feel the love of Jesus every single time they step into the room. How do we start and what are some practical ways to get changes like that started to where kids start seeing the impact regularly? Yeah. Well, the, the thing that comes to my mind as you're, as you're talking about that is the, um, you know, a, the difference between like maybe, you know, we take kids to camp, and, uh, you know, there's somebody up front leading worship or leading silly songs or whatever they're doing, you know, warm up things. And uh, the kids are just wildly into it, right? They're just, they're just totally 100% into this thing. 
and you come home and you do a similar thing, like you're leading the very same song, the very same thing, and they look at you like, and it's like there's a pheromone in the room in both of those settings where they say, oh, we're singing today. Or, oh, we're not singing today. <laughs> yeah. It's a, I mean, that's a great example of culture. It's, it's a, there's a, there's a culture in a, in a particular gathering. So you've probably gotten up to speak sometimes and you go, man, whatever comes out of my mouth, they are eating up. And then other times you are just as prepared and you go, they're getting, this is falling on rocks. Nothing's yeah. happening here. Right. Yep. Um, and so, you know, part of what we're doing is, is helping kids, as you described, be in a context where they are loved, where they are delighted in, uh, they're not condemned, um, and there's a, there's a place for them. Uh, that's, it, it's in that, in that, I mean, a lot of times what we try to do is get, get our kids to fit into a pretty narrow band of kind of church behavior. And, you know, the compliant kids will be happy to do that. But then those same compliant kids are going to go off to college and just be compliant with the fraternity, right? They'll, they'll just do whatever the group is doing. Um, so, you know, part of what we want to do is create this space where, um, where their questions are welcome, where um, I just, I just remember, um, it's a great little story from Greg Boyle. Do you know that name, Greg Boyle? Sounds familiar. He's Homeboy Industries um, out, in, out in Los Angeles, the largest gang prevention program in the world. Um, but uh, Greg tells a story about being in a uh, being in a, a bar in Ireland. Uh, you know, he's doing some event, and but there's this there's this bar in Ireland where young adults would gather, and they would have this program called God and Guinness, and uh, and so Greg would would lead you know greg was there to lead that group but and he was wearing his clerical collar as a as a priest and somebody at the bar comes to him with a cell phone in his hand and says my daughter has lost her faith and she needs to talk to you right now <laughs> whoa <laughs> like he's in he's in the middle of leading this young adult thing and this guy comes up and hands him the phone and um, and so he gets on the phone and, um, he says, uh, uh, he says, hi, this is father Greg. Just, uh, it's your dad says that you've, you've lost your faith. And she says, no, I know exactly where it is. I just don't want it anymore. And, and, uh, he says, well, if you lost your faith, maybe you need to good for you. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, what? He said, we, we all need to lose our faith sometimes. Uh, you know, a, a caterpillar's got to his, lose his faith and faith in being a caterpillar to turn into the next thing. And uh, Paul had to lose his faith in uh, persecuting Christians and being right. Peter had to lose his faith in only ministering to the Gentiles and going to see Cornelius. They're all kind of stories in the scripture where we lose our faith in a smaller God and open ourselves to a faith in a larger God. And I'm, I'm a little fearful that there are times in youth ministry where we try to get kids just to hang on, 
just hang on to that faith you had when you were 12. And, you know, yeah, the childlikeness and the openness to God and the, the full hearted, yes, 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 I want this. Hang on to that. But, um, but I don't know about you, but I'm sure happy that I don't have the same love for Jesus that I had when I was 12 or 15 sure. or 18 or 22 or 35 or 40. That's long enough, right? <laughs> um, and so help creating a space where kids recognize that they are, I mean, I kind of like your language of what's the next step, that there's always a next step and a leaving behind the smaller God that we used to carry in our pocket. Eventually the God, there's, our pocket's not big enough. <laughs> yeah. And 100%. God's got God's to carry us. But mo so much of our work has been around, um, let's catechize kids. Let's get them to learn the right answers. All this sort of content focused stuff. Hey, you know, think about how Jesus, how did Jesus train his disciples? He didn't sit them down and say, here are the answers and just learn these. He just messed with them. And you remember he said, I'm, I'm calling you for three things. One is you're going to be with me. Second is you're going to go preach. And the third is you're going to cast out demons. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. is, this is like, early, this is the beginning go just go cast out a few demons tell me how that goes that was jesus discipleship model the unsettling disruptive turn it upside down find your own weakness turn into a beginner again that was jesus method our method is master the material so you can feel arrogant about how smart you are about god and the bible and yeah that's a that's a different way i mean if we want to say god is a disciple is fundamentally a beginner where is the new frontier that God is throwing me into where I am totally out of my element? I'm totally over my head. I don't know what I'm doing and I need the grace of God. Yeah. That, so I, I don't know if I was anywhere close to the. No, the, no, I, I think that's good. And I, I like how you say that eventually God will be too big for our pocket. That made me think of a book. Uh, have you read Project Pearl? No. Um, uh, so Project Pearl um, is a book, and I was trying to figure out who writes it. Just a second. Um, I'll look it up. Uh, it's by Brother David and then Paul Hathaway. And I heard this guy talk um, at a conference one time. And basically, um, it's a the story about how he um, and a group of people smuggled one million Bibles into China. Um, and one of the things that you said about like, our, the God will eventually be too big for our pocket. One of the things that captivated me when I was listening to this guy talk over and over and over again, he, he kept having these like logistical problems. He's like, you know, we can't do it. We can't do it. We can't do it. And this pastor, a friend of his that was helping him kept repeating this line. It says, man, sounds like you need to believe in a bigger God. <laughs> It's like, sounds like you need to believe in a bigger God. Sounds like you need to believe in a bigger God. Like over and over, every time he presented this thing that seemed insurmountable, this guy kept saying this one phrase of like, it seems like you need to believe in a bigger God. And it was one of those things like we, if we have the faith of a 12 year old, that's great. I love the enthusiasm. I love the energy. And ultimately we want that enthusiasm to stick, but the faith of a 12-year-old 
will not hold weight when it comes to having a divorce at 35 or losing a kid at 40 or anything to that nature. And so our faith has to adapt. And same same premise, we've been talking about this the whole podcast, horizontal and vertical. Our faith is a vertical journey. There, if we keep it at a horizontal level, I mean, I, I honestly, I would wager to say that that's where our world is right now. That's why so many people have left Christianity is because we had such a horizontal tract when it came to believing in Jesus that none of them went deep. And so when that first big wave came through, it was like, oh, well, yep, my faith's gone. And it's like, well, yeah, time to find a better one. Time to yeah. time to believe in a bigger God. I love so, that. Um, really, really fantastic book. I would recommend that, especially to you as well, since you haven't listened to it, but our listeners, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, it's, it's a phenomenal story. Uh, it's one of those stories that just, it, it seems crazier and crazier and crazier. Um, and I won't spoil it for you how they actually make it happen, but it's crazy. They literally smuggle 1 million Bibles into China overnight. Wow. So, um, but I love the phrase and it really, really fits with the whole um, idea and the mindset of the culture that we live in and changing that culture is we need to believe in a bigger God. We need to believe that the God is the God of the universe and we need to actually understand the power and the majesty of what he can do. Um, Let let me just, let me just say, Brett, it, it's important to say it the way you said it. It's not that our kids need to believe in a bigger God. Yeah. We need to sure. Yeah. My my God today is too small, and that God is drawing me into higher up, deeper in. Right, God yeah. is drawing me into more, and I can either just say, you know, I kind of like being an expert. I kind of like being, you know, yeah. the guy who knows knows his Bible and can, and uh, and you know. Someplace, you know, the, the question I would put out there for all of us is, where's the place that I'm stepping where I am the beginner and I'm not the expert? Um, if there's not a place like that in your faith right now, then we got we to gotta just own the fact that maybe we're, we've settled for a, a, a God that is done with us and we've memorized the right things and we better hurry up and die so we don't mess it up um <laughs> instead of being invited in to some messy uncertainty where we're going to fall off the bicycle a bunch um anyway back to you bob no that's that that's that's head on exactly um and it kind of answers my last question but you might have another direction to go with this for the youth pastor that feels stuck or out of the loop with this conversation of like, Hey, you know, I've been battling this culture that I cannot change. Um, and they're just like, wait, I can change it. How, how does that work? Um, where would you recommend that they begin as far as battling the change of culture that they have to do within their own church, um, within their own communities? And then if there is, what would be the first step for people listening? I'd say pick, pick the change you want to see. Um, and to begin with, don't make it like world peace. Make it volunteer culture or, you know, <laughs> make it something that you think, yeah, of course I could do that in the next three years. 
The problem is we get so distracted by the hundred things we want to change that we never change anything. So pick a thing that you want to change, work the culture change process in the, in the, in the wake of that is going to come this confidence that, oh, actually God can use me to instigate, catalyze change that, that really yeah. makes and the other side that I would kind of throw in with that as far as this, and I think I think this trend is getting better, but it got really, really awful for a while, is I you've heard Mark say it for the people that are listening. Um, you've heard Mark say it at least three times in this podcast hour, um, is the fact that you are looking at three years before you see change. You have to stay that long. You are not there. You cannot expect to be in a youth ministry for 12 to 18 months and see change. Honestly, you can't expect to stay for three years and see change because it's year four, year five, year six that you start to see those three years of groundwork that you put in start to come to fruition. So longevity is something that we've talked about on this podcast before. If you feel called to a church do your best to make sure that god is the reason that you're leaving and not just because it's a better job or a better opportunity or a better location because more than likely i'm pretty sure that god would wager with the fact of he can provide whatever you need if you're staying faithful to where he called you um, and i've seen that time and time again in my years in ministry uh, I'm sure you have as well, Mark, just the mindset of if you stay faithful to the task that God has given you, if you stay faithful to the students that God has given you, he will show you promise. He will show you goodness. He will show you um, how he will provide. Um, and I think that's a big part of that is a lot of people look at this cultural change and they they jump in and they're like, oh, well, in three weeks, I'm going to have this change. It's like, who are you? Like, I don't think anybody can make culture change in three weeks. And quite honestly, if you do, it might change for a semester and then it's going to fall flat because culture change has to have years behind it to stick and then move forward. So um, yeah, find the thing that you want to change, like Mark said, but you have to be there long enough to actually see the change come to fruition too. Um, other than that, um, Mark, anything else, any other um, resources, any other things that you'd like to contribute to this conversation? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, just just to double click on what you just said. Um, uh, it is possible we, you know, churches often are infatuated with the youth director who can bring immediate visible change, which means more kids in the room, right? Um We've seen plenty of that where a rock star comes in, you had two kids, then you have 50 kids and in like the span of six months. Let's not confuse that with long-term culture change that you described, right? Because uh, yeah. there, there are plenty of people that have those sort of gifts, and but typically they don't stay terribly long. And then it falls apart like a house of cards when the superstar leaves. Um, yeah, uh, one kind of set of books, if you're interested in kind of, this culture change from folks that are kind of experts in this. Uh, anything by uh, Dan and Chip Heath. Uh, they wrote The Power of Moments and Switch and a number of other 
uh, books like that. But basically, almost all of their, I think they've got one, a new book that's just come out called Upstream, like how do we change what's upstream so that what com comes downstream is different. Um, <clears throat> but basically, I, you know, they, I, they don't write from a uh, particularly Christian perspective, but there's a lot we can learn there. Um, yeah, and that's, uh, that's the, you know, I know you, you wanted me to suggest a resource or two. So the, that, I think yeah. that's, how I and you know, sustainable, there's a chapter on culture change, which we sort of, you know, reviewed here. Sure. Um, no, and we will, we'll definitely put sustainable as well as a few of Dan and Chip's books in the show notes. So y'all can check them out. Um, after you finish listening to this episode. Okay. Um, other than that, do you have any last tidbits of wisdom, any advice before we uh, officially kind of close us out? Yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll just land with this just to, you know, uh, to be on your radar. Um, you know, part of what we're finding is um, that we all do better in whatever our chosen calling is if we're surrounded. And it's not just kids, if we're surrounded by coaches and you know, I have a, a, a physical coach for my, you know, my body, I've got a financial coach, I've got a, a, a legal coach, I've got a ministry coach, I got a business coach, I've got, so we all, you know, I got a spiritual director, all these different kind of, kind of ways we can surround ourselves with, um, um, with the kind of people that are going to help us draw into the next place. So, you know, ministry incubators and ministry architects both have leaned heavily onto, you know, coaching and cohorts. So if anybody is interested in exploring what a coaching relationship might look like or being in a cohort with another group of people in ministry, um, there's just something about keeping the tension on the string so we keep growing after we're done being in class, right? Um the difference between an Olympic runner and me, well, there are many differences, but the difference between an Olympic runner and me is that they have a coach. I don't have a coach. I, I've never cared that much about running. But if if we want to be sort of the Olympians in ministry, it's not going to happen without a, without a coach of some kind. So you can find one who's a volunteer down the street. I know, Brent, you do a lot of that kind of coaching. Um, but if, if you're interested in exploring that, you can go either to ministerarchitects.com, ministerincubators.com. And then if you've got a harebrained idea for ministry, like that's been tickling at the back of your mind, like, uh, oh, I just want to start a coffee shop or, but, but an idea for ministry that has an alternate alternative, uh, alternate economic engine from, uh, just passing the plate and begging for money. So, you know it's a Tom shoes model or a whatever um, the future. I, I do think the future of ministry is going to belong to those who have creative ways to fund the ministry after the boomers are dead, because I'm a boomer. I'm going to be dead way before you, God willing. And, uh, <laughs> and boomer giving patterns are way, 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 way different than all the generations coming behind. And all of our churches have built their financial ministry models on boomer giving patterns. And we're going to be gone and dead. And those who don't support institutions the way boomers do are going to find themselves shocked all of a sudden, like, oh my, we don't have the money to run the ministry like we used to. 
So if you've got an interesting idea like that, reach out to us on ministryincubators.com. Uh, we do these events called hatchathons where we help people cook up their harebrained ideas uh, and help them figure out how to how to pay for it. So um, that's those, awesome. Those are two things I would leave, you know, just as opportunities if anybody's interested. Yeah. And finally, if anybody wanted to touch base with you about this episode or just reach out and say hi, how could people contact you? Um, social media, email. Um, we've had people give out their phone numbers uh, all across the board. So you do whatever, uh, whatever the best way to contact you is. Yeah, my cell number is 615-424-2304, or you can just do mark at ministryincubators.com. Uh, either of those would work fine. All right. Well, Mark, that's fantastic. Um, thank you for coming on the show. But that is all we have for the show. Um, if you are a frequent listener of our podcast, all we'd ask for you to do is to do your part by getting our podcast out to the greater student ministry audience. Share our podcast with your youth pastor friends on social media. Tag a specific episode that stood out to you. Maybe it's this one because um, I definitely have loved it. Um, either way, be sure to tag us in the post on your favorite platform using at Talk Student Men. And then finally, if you'd like to be like Mark and be on our show in the future, um, you can reach out to us on social media or send us an email podcast at studentministryconversations.org. And we'd love to set up a time that you can come join us on the show. Well, Mark, I like you're like I said, you're you're a living legend. Um so super, super grateful having your insight and your wisdom on the show um, definitely have impacted my ministry career through um, just getting to read different things that you've done over the years, watch videos that you've put out on YouTube um, and such a great topic today. Love the opportunity and for conversation about leading culture change. Um, and I, I think there were some definitely, uh, definitely some good points to take from today's um episode and i'm really excited for listeners to hear this one thanks brother great to be with well, you yeah well we hope that if you're listening you have a great week and we will see you next week